Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Good. How are you on time, Aaron? Do you have a little more time to, to get into uh, shelters I, and sleeping bags? Oh, man, I got all the time in the world. The only thing I got going on is I got all my gear laid out so I can get into Google Tweetspace famous more. I <laughs> uh, just unloaded it all as we were talking so I can, one, make sure I didn't forget any shit, and then, two, kind of do a pan video on my story because guys always have questions about what kit I'm taking. And uh, so, yeah, man, the only thing I got going on is tomorrow I'm going to shoot 3Ds in the morning before we go out scouting, so ask away. Cool. Yeah, so I think we covered pretty good into packs there. Um, so to to get into shelters a little bit, um, so I mean, Kafaro sells the teepee style, and um, and I know that you use a bunch of different varieties. But uh, for someone, let's so because I mean, if you ask specifically what tent should I use, that's asking the same thing as you know, you know, what what pack should I use there's a whole bunch of different scenarios, but if you're thinking of a guy that's going to go out, he's heading from the East going out West for a September elk hunt and, and Colorado or Montana or one of the kind of main States there, what kind of advice do you have from a shelter standpoint? Gotcha. So the, the first thing though, it's, let's say this is all, uh, you know, related to backpack hunting, you know, as far as, um, the, uh, you know, as far as the advice I'm giving, Mm-hmm. Hold on one second. We we have a battery crisis for the big camera. I'm charging them now. I'm on it, man. Frank and I are packing. Frank's a little bit better about packing earlier than I am. <laughs> Not Frank will pack the night before season, without a doubt, or the night before we go. Um. So anyway, this info is just for backpack hunting. If you're going to car camp, you know, get get whatever. But this is for you know carrying it on your back. Um. You know, this, you're going to look at the time of year, you know, like the earlier you go, the more you can get away with. Uh, even at up high in Colorado, above tree line, you can get away with more, you know, late August, early September. But I usually, if the later you get and the colder it gets, the more I'm going to sway someone into bringing a stove uh, with one of our, our TP systems. Uh, just for the simple fact of, you know, fire is life. I mean, that is key. And, and staying warm and drying your clothing out is, I, I mean, it, it's it's at a level that can't even really be. Once someone has done that and gotten used to running a teepee with a stove, I mean, you don't go back. It is difficult. But if you don't have wood to burn, you're up above tree line, you know, then you want to look into more of a three or four season tent. If you're wanting to be mobile, um, and go lightweight, you probably want to do a tarp and a bivy or just a tarp. So you've got a lot of different, you know, variables. And again, I'll just run through them. You've got the hardcore guy that'll just run a bivy. And I strongly suggest never do that because it sucks. And then you got a bivy and a tarp, or you have just a tarp and a ground cloth. And then you run into the closed floorless shelters like the teepees or uh, our sawtooth is one we offer uh super tarp or whatever um and then you have like a three season tent i'm being very general here which is a tent that the the outer shell does not go to the ground it's usually three to five inches off the ground and then the sides of that three season tent are mesh um on the on the inner wall 
And then you'll have a four season tent that the sidewalls go all the way to the ground and it's a, a, a uncoated or unwaterproof material that makes up the sidewalls, then it'll retain more heat. With all those different options, you kind of need to one assess is there going to be a lot of mosquitoes? If there's going to be so many mosquitoes, like in British Columbia, you may want a more closed-in shelter. Um, you know, is it going to be, are you packing in eight, nine miles? Um, well, if you're packing in a long ways, you want to go with the lightest shelter you can get away with. You may want to get a tarp. Um, if you're going to be above tree line with absolutely no way to build a fire, high winds, potential snow, you're going to want to go with a four-season shelter. If you're going to be hunting later in the season or in really wet conditions, you probably want to go with a floorless shelter and a stove to dry everything out. Um, and so, man, it's so dependent upon the situation. You know, it, it just it's it's hard to one. It's hard to say for people to buy just one if they're hunting a lot, which you've probably found out. Like you can get pretty close with one, but to be the most efficient. You know, you generally need a, a couple different shelter options. I'll give you an example. I'm looking at my pile of gear now that's going back in my pack. I'm running a big Agnes three-wire bivy and a super tarp, um, or a paratarp, excuse me. Paratarp's a fairly small shelter. I'm doing that because, one, we're going in nine miles. Two, we're gaining 4,500 feet in elevation. Three, there's a very good chance each night I'm going to be sleeping in a deer bed in a very shitty position on the side of a cliff that I just don't have the room to set up a tent. Um, number four, I want to be extremely mobile. And if I'm, let's say we we're, we're, as we're scouting, we want to leave some weight, some of our stuff more towards the way we're coming back out. You know, yeah. I'll drop my, 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 I'll drop the tarp and just take the bivy or leave the bivy and just take the tarp to do a quick one nighter quite a ways away where if you're taking a tent, you're kind of forced to take the whole damn tent. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm bouncing all over the place here, but there's a lot of variables in there, um, you know, for, so I would definitely say kind of assess the situation, time of year, elevation, physical ability, how far you're going and, uh, and make your decision from that. Yeah. So that's, that probably confused people more than, <laughs> than when we started. Well, no, I think, I think you, you broke it down pretty good. I mean, you started with, you know, you you have the, the bivy and then you have bivy tarp TP and then your three or four season tent that you could potentially have there. And, and I think you, you covered that pretty well, but so what you were saying, one point that I want to dig into is you said, you know, not one covers all. And that's kind of what, what I've learned. I, right now I'm running a TP and a stove setup, which like, I agree with you. I don't know if I could ever go back to not having a stove. It is awesome. Um, I did learn a lot about using a stove. I had a lot of negative condon, you know, that condensation. I guess you could even get into that. That wasn't the word I was trying to use, but I did have a lot of condensation problems at first. And what I learned was it was just, it was the way I had the tent set up and my inexperience with it, with airflow. Um, and also in Colorado's crazy rain, wind, and uh, sleet storms that happen, it seems like, every night in the high country. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And so, anyways, I, I, I took a, a teepee out last year to Colorado. I was camped around 11,000 feet, and it was just below tree line. I was probably 100 yards from tree line. And 
the the one thing you definitely got to consider with a teepee is when you start getting up there and you're getting on some of those knife ridges and everything it's it is difficult to find a flat spot for it um but so anyways once i did find a, a relatively flat spot and get it get it all set up there i i did also learn to put rocks on top of your stakes or and actually yeah that's vital I <laughs> so I wasn't used to that kind of wind, you know, in Pennsylvania or anything. But uh, middle of the night, had a really bad storm that started pulling out my stakes, and I thought I was going to lose the entire shelter. And uh, so that was a vital lesson to learn. And also, I picked up some of those MSR stakes that's that kind of have a I don't even know what they're called, but they they kind of screw twist. into the ground a little bit more. And, yeah, uh, they twist. Those things are they're badass. Yeah, they are awesome. I feel like those could hold up to just about anything. I just run four of those and then use the regular stakes. But anyways, that was something I noticed. But running a, a stove, so I, I had a stove in, in the teepee with, with my dad and I in there. And being able to come back and lay in there and just turn it on just to heat up and dry all your stuff was awesome. It was <laughs> I can't say enough about how how nice that was, but um, I don't know what you can say about this, but if i i I noticed in when I was running that tent in Pennsylvania when it was really cold out and I was burning nothing but softwood that I had an issue with the the stove plugging up and oh, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really bad. And uh, smoking me out of the tent basically it while I was sleeping. Smoke, but yeah, okay. smoke you out of the tent and kill you. You're not careful. Yeah, luckily my brother was there and he woke me up because I could sleep through anything, and uh, it was really bad. So that's that's definitely something to note. And do you have any? Uh, I don't want to get too far off topic here, but before almost from my own um, knowledge here as well as as anybody else, is there a, a good way of of making sure that doesn't happen? Or, or just keeping the damper wide open? Uh, the dampener will, will help. But also, if you, um, you know, when you're, you know, if you, in Barkville, when I talked about this, and it was probably hard to tell, we were talking about, you know, stoves too, but, uh, or excuse me, you know, burning, uh, starting a fire, burning it in a wood stove as well. But if you can get the fire going, with with whatever dry wood is around you and then stack the wet wood around the stove underneath it even though a lot of people tell you not to whatever you can to dry that out and then you're you know kind of bridging up taking the driest wood and throwing it in there um, while the other stuff's drying out and then obviously the spark arrestor you may need to pull that spark arrestor um to where there's a little bit of a gap in there where maybe it's not plugging the entire, uh, you know, the entire stove hole. Uh, oh, you can get uh, some embers coming out of that um, possibly, but, you know, it, it's worthwhile to, to know that because once that spark arrestor gets completely plugged, which is easy to do, it's not necessarily just wet wood. It's the type of wood. Um, you know, that's when it'll come become a problem. And definitely before you go to bed, if you get it just rip roaring like I do, pull the spark arrestor out, tap it, clean it completely, put it back in because the chance of that plug in while you're falling asleep are pretty slim because it's only gonna burn for, you know, thirty, forty minutes. Um, is that something you can make sure this 
Oh, sorry. Keep going. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, is that is that something that on, on your stoves, I, I don't own a Kafaru stove, but is that something that you can pull out the spark arrestor while, or how, how are you, you're explaining about taking it out? Yeah. What do you have a seek outside? Yes. Yep. So the, on the seek outside, it's got a, and I don't give a shit. Do you mention whatever you want? Mm-hmm. It's got like a twisty flu thing. Um, yeah. Like where you twist the dampener. Ours don't. We have a metal screen that goes across um, the stovepipe, and so you are screwed. You can't do what I was talking about. Okay. With ours, you can you can pull the the screen out uh, completely halfway out, um, tap the screen, clean it, but you can adjust that where it won't won't plug. Um, you know, is 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 like you can on other stoves. Um, and Seek Outside makes good products. Um, <laughs> excuse me. We, um, you know, we, we, with us, I mean, keep in mind, Patrick, you know, pioneered this in, in the spirit of, uh, I say this all the time, my buddies give me shit, but the spirit of total candor, Patrick, he pioneered the backpackable, the, the, the stoves and the teepees. Um, you know, to my knowledge, he was the first to do it. And when you're the first to do it, um, you know, he kind of, yeah, he, would probably agree with me. He also might smack me for saying this. He rested on his laurels because he was the only game in town. And there was other companies that started and like seek outside being one of them. And they took the stove design. I mean, obviously I'm not going to sit here and get beat up either. Um, you know, we're obviously trying to design something even lighter and better, but um, they uh, made box, you know, we're stainless steel, um, you know, super durable. And that was something Patrick really focused on, but this ultra lightweight kind of thing going on, they made an ultralight titanium box stove. Um, which basically like ours with some changes made it a titanium. It's a good stove. Um, but there's certain things they did that Patrick kind of always, you know, like pounded in my mind. This is one of the problems you're talking about not to do. Um, and so there's certain things on different stoves. It's not like ours is all that in a bag of chips. Ours has got things that needs to change on it too. Um, but you need to learn those uh, so you don't get yourself in any sticky situations. Like in the case of, of ours, um, that screen can plug up. Um, it's not like it's infallible. And once that plugs up, same thing. You can't see from one end of the shelter to the other when it gets smoky. Yeah. Um, so those are the things, you know, that you can look at, but the wood, I'm not a, you know, what's the word? What's the tree? What's a tree dog? What's a, what's a guy, uh, what tells the word for something? Arborist. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Arborist forester. I'm not an arborist. I don't know all the different trees and woods, but there's certain woods that are going to plug that stove up super fast. Like the pines and, and hemlocks wood. and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And then you look at like, let's say a, uh, uh, an aspen tree, which is horribly horrible for efficiency because it burns so fast when it's dead. But I'm lazy, and Patrick gives me crap all the time because I burn aspen trees constantly, like dead branches. They're horribly inefficient. They burn super hot, and they burn super fast, so the stove won't maintain its heat. But when you're like me, I just burn the shit out of that thing constantly. I just I feed it like I feed myself. I'm just cramming wood in there because I like – you guys give me crap all the time. You will, it'll be broke fast mountain in that shelter. You'll be in your underwear. I get it hot. I like being warm in that thing. <laughs> and so 
if I am going to burn different wood or wet wood, I will, I will, um, put that around it as I'm burning, you know, the aspens to dry that other stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I noticed with burning softwood, when I mean the, you know, pines or hemlock type trees that we have a lot in, in Pennsylvania and even in Colorado, I burned a lot of that, but it burns really fast too. And, um, it'll get super hot, but you know, you run out quickly, but in this case, when it was just yeah, so cold, it, it, it gelled up and, uh, you know, yeah. and then plugged it. And it was, I mean, I, I took a picture of the, once the smoke kind of cleared, how hot the whole titanium stove and stove pipe got, it was glowing red from the front all the way up through the roof. I mean, it was, it was kind of scary how bad it got. So let's put it this way. The rest of that night wasn't very good sleeping in it when I had doors wide open and stove wasn't really doing much for you at that point. <laughs> but uh, yeah, oh, it's yeah. a lesson and learned, it, you know? <laughs> yeah. I was going to say having the, uh, all, everything wide open to get that, you know, flow going, uh, get that air flowing, you know, from front to back. Cause it's really, you know, it's all about airflow with that, with a stove, you know, especially one that small as far as getting, uh, air to flow to get, you know, cause the fire, it needs oxygen and, uh, getting the oxygen through that on a steady flow is, is the key to victory. And, um, yeah, it's easy in Colorado. I'll be the first guy to admit you can fart sort of forest fire here. Like it's not very difficult to build a fire here. You go to Northern Idaho, you know, you got crisis level situation going on. Like you, you've got to focus to get that, keep that fire going. So <laughs> that's what I thought was uh funny when I first time I got to Colorado there, I was like, it would, it would rain, it would storm, it would sleet, it would snow. And then you could still kick up dust. I was like, what the, this is weird. You know, it, 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 everything was so dry all the time you could just snap sticks like it was nothing where I'm used to a little bit more wetter, you know, stuff a little bit harder to, to get started. But that was also nice at the same time <laughs> to be able to do that. And I didn't yeah, have any no. problems with the stove in Colorado. I mean, it worked pretty flawlessly, but, um, so anyways, I was looking at, so this year I'm going out to Colorado again, I'm going out for two weeks and at least one of the weeks I'm going by myself. So I'm, I'm not probably going to carry, a stove and a shelter as far as I'm not going to carry the teepee and the shelter. And I was looking at, you know, a tarp slash bivy setup, or if I wanted to just go with a lightweight, you know, three season tent. And from the sounds of it, you can be, it's a little bit more versatile to be able to use the, the tarp bivy setup because you can use one or the other at, uh, at different times there. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it, and it depends. I mean, I, you know, and I'm a huge Hilleberg fan when it comes to shelters, um, and I have been for a long time. I am not a big fan of three-season tents from a lot of other companies. Mm -hmm. Not all, but a lot of other ones because they just don't hold up to some of the shit that we put them through, even in the quote-unquote three-season time frame. Um, yeah. And so a Hilleberg three-season tent is closer to a four-season, and, and so – Usually if someone's kind of debating back and forth, um, you know, on, on what to use, there's going to be the, um, you know, if you, like people worry about sleeping on the ground. I don't ever sleep on the ground. I put a piece of Tyvek down. So if I'm using a tarp, there's Tyvek on the, the ground. So it's not like I'm just throwing my sleeping bag in the dirt and the mud. I mean, I put a piece yeah. of Tyvek there. But there's going to be, you know, that sometimes above tree line sucks. You know, it, it, it just does. It's windswept and whatever. And, and uh down in tree line, uh, the, 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 the tarp is pretty nice and it, you know, you won't have as many issues. Um, 
And so uh, to me, if you're looking at a, um, uh, like a super mobile ultralight option, let's say from Kafara, which is like a super tarp, it's a huge tarp. It's, um, I'm trying to think it's 10 feet long or even our new, we got a new Aegis shelter, which is a, a big 10 foot by 10 foot square tarp. You know, you take a 10 foot by 10 foot tarp, you can pitch that thing in many different directions and angles and everything else. And, and getting weather underneath it is a moot point. It's too big for that to happen. And so if you have that and you're going to be in the timber, that is a great option. It's well under two pounds. Again, it's 10 foot by 10 foot. It's giant. And you really won't need a, a bivy. Um, just so big and, uh, and it's lightweight. But then if you're going to be above tree line, you know, to get away from the windswept stuff, uh, you know, a bivy is a good idea because that's going to block the wind. Um, you know, whether you got a down or synthetic bag, it's going to block the wind. Um, I don't know that there's a wrong answer for that between a three season and, and a, a tarp bivy combo. I think it's more of a, you know, personal preference on, you know, like if we backpack in there, you know, we're going in, oh, man, I think it's nine miles is what we're going in on Sunday. I can tell you right now, if the weather looks halfway decent, uh, I can pitch that bivy in about 45 seconds and I'm getting in it and going to sleep. Um, and then, and then I'll just take my tarp and wrap it around my gear in case it rains. So just wrap it around my pack and everything. And I'm going to get knocked out and pass out, go to sleep, wake up. If it's still raining the next morning, yeah, it's going to kind of suck, but it's Colorado it didn't rain that much. Um, you know, I'll stay in the bivy until it stops. And that's where the bivy kind of sucks where, you know, if I know the weather's going to be bad, I'll pitch the tarp, you know, of course, so I can get out, move around, do whatever I need to do. Um, whereas you look at a, a three or four season tent, um, let's say a, a Nalo or a Nyack from, um, or let's say an onion or a Nyack, which is a three season tent from Hilleberg. I got a little bit more setup time. I got to pay attention a little bit more of where I, you know, put it up because it takes a little bit more room, but you know, if it's raining and storming out and I'm stuck in the tent, well, I, you know, it just shifted from a, a, a bivy uh, combo. It may not be as good as a three season tent where I can move around, but let's say you go in nine miles and you pack that extra two pounds in with shelter weight, the weather's peachy the entire time. You're going to be thinking, why the hell am I carrying this? I just need a tarp or a bivy. Yeah. Um, and so that shifts constantly. And I can tell you, people are thinking, oh, that's stupid. I'd always want a, uh, a three season tent. Well, go with us nine miles in. You'll be cut pulling your teeth out to save weight when you're gaining 4,500 feet in elevation, gaining and losing 9,000 total just to get there. That's before the party even starts. You just got to the, to the party. And so at that point, that's where you really start to rob Peter to pay Paul. Like, all right, I, I, dude, I can go on and on. It is hilarious. It is easy from the armchair or your mom's basement to guess what's going to happen and think, you know, but I tell you, mother nature kicks you right in the dick with altitude. I mean, it crushes everyone when you cannot breathe. Your lactic acid buildup is just ridiculous. You know, you can't take 10 steps. You are going to reassess your gear when you get home, and I guarantee there's shit coming out of your packing list that you thought you couldn't live without before you went. And so that's the kind of stuff that pushes people to a tarp or a bivy. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I've been there. Probably talking too much here, but <laughs> no, no, no. That's yeah, no, that's you're good a, information. You're a fit motherfucker. I mean, you're fit. Think about a guy who's not fit. No, I, I, mean, I died. I would guy who did. <laughs> when I got on the other side of Denver for the first time and pulled off of one of those rest stops around I don't know ten thousand feet somewhere in there, I stepped out to walk to go take a piss, and I thought I was gonna die. I'm like, this isn't good. You know, this is, this is, this isn't good. And, uh, yeah, you, once you start hiking up there and especially climbing elevation, um, it's, it sucks at first. So you really want to, you know, keep, get rid of, if you, if you can cut some weight on the shelter there, do it. (laughs) You, you did a podcast with, uh, I think you said Brian and Jordan, uh, Brian Paul from, from Gritty. Yep. I think he changed it from Gritty Bowman to Gritty now, hasn't he? Yeah, I think he did. Yeah, I, yeah think, I think they, what do they call that, rebranding? Yes, um, yeah, I saw his new so logo and everything it, there. Yeah, so he's, but Brian, looking at Brian, would you think Brian would be like just a monster in the mountains? The dude is fit. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't want to have a pistol squad, air squat competition with him. The dude, they do CrossFit like crazy, and but uh, he'll be the first to tell you he got the shit smacked out of him when he got out here. I mean, it was a rude awakening and, and Brian is super fit and, and he's a hardcore dude. I mean, he'll go, but it is a eye opener when you're, when you're back here with altitude and you know, I'm lucky I'm here all the time. And so, you know, you, you look at it in the sense of if you're just going in two miles and setting up one camp or three, you can, you can suffer through anything for three miles, right? That's, you know, or even if you're moving your camp some, but when you're going in three and then you're hunting and you're going in four when you blow out the elk and then another mile five and you're gaining and losing elevation or mule deer, you're stalking every day, right? When I say stock, meaning you're gaining and losing a few thousand feet every day. Yeah. Your, your gear assessment, your, your gear, uh, how does Ryan Avery put, put it? You uh, need to reassess your gear situation because you have thought about it all season. You've probably bought way more shit than you need. You've packed in way more clothing than you need. You're prepared for the apocalypse. And the one thing that kills you is preparing for the apocalypse. The lightning, the, the, oh, what if I cut my leg off, right? And the hacksaws people bring and all this shit they bring to prepare. That's what kills them. Yeah. That is what gets them because they're coming off the mountain because they can't pack it all where, you know, all these what ifs, which shit can happen when you party naked in the backcountry. I mean, things happen, but you pack all this stuff and the thing that drives you off the mountain is what's in your pack. You can't handle it. And that's something people don't think about. You come off the mountain quick because you got too much crap in your pack or, or foot problems, you know, monkey butt, things that people don't. You know how many guys come off the mountain to the last crack crop problem? <laughs> Dude, I'd say it's one out of ten. I mean, when you're when your balls start to rot and, and sweat and you get that that uh where you're walking like you're bow legged. Yeah. Dude, I don't know anybody that can tough it through that. You're coming off the mountain and that's you know, sweat, right? Not prepping, not hiking enough. And then that sweat obviously it starts to, you know, grind, I guess you could say, or you get these you know, rashes or whatever. Um yeah, nobody got nobody put that in their assessment, you know, early, right? And then you'll get guys that pack an entire bottle of monkey butt that powder. Yeah. And then you went the other direction. 
right? You, you've got too much monkey, but you got to kind of, there's a happy medium for everything. And I've seen too many squirrels the last five minutes. I'm going all over the place, but <laughs> there's a lot to think about when you're, when you're heading in. <laughs> no, that's, that's funny. But when, uh, when Brian came over to, and, you know, was, you know, had struggled a little bit with the elevation there, what, was there anything that, that helped with that over time, which is him living there, I'm guessing, but. Well, yeah, training or whatever, but. I mean, Brian has told several people I can be what he told Luke Cadillo. I'm a hard ass or I can be now. And, and I will say that's probably true at times where, you know, he probably thought he probably wanted to shoot me. And, and what, uh, what you, I can be probably the best guy in the world you'd ever want to hunt with. And I'm probably the worst at times. Cause I am, I am the guy that, that when you're not keeping up, um, I am the guy that says, suck it the fuck up and get those legs working. Let's go. Like I, I'm not good at, come on, man, you're going to make it because you entered the race. You better be ready to run. Like it, so to speak. Right. And not, this isn't saying Brian wasn't ready to run the dude, the hardcore dude, but there are times where, you know, Brian and I would argue about something. He would do what I said not to. He'd come back and be like, how'd that work out? Dipshit. And that's me and my, my, um, that's just my mentality. And, you know, a lot of that's from the military and construction where all my other buddies just throw rocks at me and tell me to suck it up. And they make fun of me the same way where I think Brian probably wasn't maybe used to that because, you know, not say maybe used to that, but meaning hunting above tree line is different. It's different in every way. It's different in physical fitness. It's different in how you stalk. And he fell in love with it immediately. But, you know, there were times or whatever that, you know, I would make fun of him for not keeping up. And, uh, you know, he'd make fun of me for not spelling something correctly. The dude's super smart. I mean, we constantly were giving each other crap back and forth. <laughs> but there there are times where I was probably a little bit more of a dick. But uh, it, it was an eye-opener for him, especially coming from Oregon. And, and it's just different, you know. And, and uh, again, when it's the first time you've ever hunted above tree line, it, it's a new – it's a, it'd be – It'd be like a guy hunted above treeline his whole life and then went and hunted Western Oregon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to get crushed from rain and underbrush. You're going to want to shoot yourself from running into rhododendrons and shit. I mean, it's just different everywhere you go. Yeah, yeah, and just different challenges. Do you think, though, uh, as far as if, if you had to break it down with two, two, I guess, workouts I see people doing a lot and myself trying them, I want to get your input on it from people that do a lot of endurance running versus people that are are just putting on a pack with weight in and hiking what would you think from uh if if any of these would help elevation do you have any uh input on that um i don't know about maybe elevation other than just training is going to help with that i will say you are making a, a a grave mistake if you do not train with a pack on nothing prepares you for training with a, having a pack on your back other than doing it. And I can tell you from my fat ass crushing long distance runners with a pack on and where I shouldn't be. I mean, they're better. They're, they're more equipped to, to go the distance, but I train constantly with a pack on and that pack is the, um, I guess you could say the equalizer. Um, yeah. You know, that, that, that sets us up, sets you apart. So you definitely, you know, if you need to train, you need to obviously build your, 
you know, lung capacity up to the best of your ability, but you need to make sure and do it with a pack on um, just to get the body used to it because uh, it's just, especially your hips. And that was the case with you. I think you said your hips flexors were hurting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, that, yeah. <laughs> And I think you talked to me and I'm the one that told you, you, yeah, well, you just aren't used to carrying it on your hips. You'll get used to it. And that's from carrying crappy packs on your shoulders. Mm -hmm. That first few weeks, when you first start carrying it on your hip bones, you get these knots in your butt cheeks and you're like, good Lord, what's wrong with this pack? Pack's not touching any part of that. Yeah. Um, But it's burning. Well, it's because you're carrying, you know, it's like if you've never done curls, you start curling, you get that muscle knot, that, that pump in your bicep. Well, you're getting a pump in the butt cheek and you're just not used to it. So it takes a little while, obviously, to get that, you know, I guess worked out or whatever, get used to it. Yeah. Like when you go to go to dry your hair after you do curls for the first time in a while and you they get locked up, <laughs> you get kind of that feeling in your legs. And uh, that was the first thing I noticed. And it was it was funny because I'm like, you know, what's you know, I'm looking at it too far in a technical standpoint. And you're just flat out. You're like, you're out of shape for that, man. You got to practice with it. I'm like, oh, well. That's a wake up call. So, but, uh, yeah, the once, Dude, once you got to I've do it, people, what's that? Do you pull the man card out? I say, I pissed people off saying that. Cause I, I have a problem with my sensor, you know, like, you know, get it out, just get it, get it out and get it out in the open real quick. And it solves a lot of problems or, you know, and, and I said that to guys where I've been like, yeah, man, uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're just out of shape. Well, some guys don't like hearing that shit. Um, they get all kinds of butt hurt about it. Or, you know, I've told guys like they're saying, hey, this pack isn't, pack isn't conforming around my hips correctly. And then they'll tell me their body size. And this is a horrible thing to say, but I'm like, well, dude, you don't have any hips. You're fat. Well, I didn't mean that in a negative way as though it came out extremely negative. Well, I just was I, like, I, hey, man, you have to have a a hip bone to wrap around it. Well, I mean, I, I can see why they would take that from a negative standpoint, but I, I know from my, from when you said that to me, it was, I'd rather you tell me it's straightforward than try to talk around it and me not figure out what the problem is, you know? <laughs> so I think, I think most people appreciate it, but some just let their uh, egos get in the way of, of being able to take any criticism. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's another thing kind of touching on while we're talking about that is, um, getting wrapped up into the, uh, super crazy ultra lightweight, uh, side of things. Um, you know, there's a, well, I don't, do you know who Clay Lancaster is? He's an outfitter up in, uh, um, the, well, all over BC, Northwest territories, Yukon, Mexico. Um, I just know what you've talked about him. It's about it. So, you know, Clay just got back from a hunt in Alaska and for, for bear with his wife. And, uh, man, he's, you know, I don't think he'd mind me saying this. I'm going to have to have him on the podcast soon, but he, he, he called me and cussed about all the new high tech gear of clothing. And I guess whatever he brought, it did not go well for him. And he's like, you know what, for another five pounds, you know, this was after a 15 to 45 second cussing spree of misery. He's like for, for another, you know, whatever it was, four to six pounds. He's like, my comfort level would have shot up a hundred percent in clothing. And he said, instead, I tried to go as light as I could and, uh, and just got destroyed, right. Just soaking wet, cold or whatever. And there's kind of a, you know, that, 
we said on the podcast that the fine line between hard ass and dumb ass, there's a fine line between ultra light um, and being, I hate to say it, but, but ultra right or whatever, like you cross a boundary of lightweight and go and start cutting into comfort. And you need to really watch that line that you don't go too far into the lightweight side where you're, you're not only comfort, but durability. Um, and that, this isn't just packs. This is everything. Um, I wrote an article for Eastman a couple of years ago called don't chase the rabbit. And it was don't chase the ultra lightweight rabbit. It was a backpacking trip is what it was based on a backpack mule deer hunting trip that I chased the rabbit, did the whole, you know, quilt, alcohol stove and most miserable time. And I think it was six pounds of pack weight would have kept me on the mountain for an, an unlimited amount of time. But that six pounds I deducted off my pack weight may have helped me on the way in, but it also pushed me back off the mountain. And so people really need to kind of assess that of, of getting a good, you know, dialed in packing list of what they exactly they need, but not crossing that dumbass border of going into too lightweight where they're really risking the hunt and, uh, you know, comfort and, and, and everything else. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. And then the one thing you can do is, and, and the one thing I really that when anyone asks me about doing that is just using your gear as much as possible. And I, and I understand that, you know, we're, you don't, if we don't live in Colorado or Montana or Idaho or whatever, you can still use it. I mean, like the, the Appalachian mountains that run the whole way up the East coast or for the most part, unless you're, you know, living in the, in the center of the Midwest or within a few hour drive. And you can go on backpacking trips on the weekend. If you, you know, if you take your family or your girlfriend or your wife or whatever it may be, you can practice with, and every trip I go on, I learn something new about, you know, my gear, my equipment, how it works. You know, you're always, you know, fiddling around with stuff and, and changing things out and figuring out what your, you know, your creature comforts are and then what your necessities are as well. And, uh, I think that's yeah, just the, the biggest thing. Well, you think about, uh, let's say, let's take sleeping bags, um, you know, down or synthetic, both have, both have their, uh, space in place, um, in, in the outdoors, but you take, um, uh, a good, uh, let's, we'll see, you will use down a good down sleeping bag, a good one, not a great one, but a good one, a 15 degree down bag is going to probably be two pounds, eight ounces, roughly, you know, maybe three, three pounds up to three pounds, four ounces for getting into the crappy side of down. And, and this has to do with whether it's 650 or 850 fill, but anyway, okay. So you take that, it's going to be about a hundred bucks an ounce to drop that weight roughly. Meaning, um, if I want to, um, well, when you first start going lightweight, it's going to be about a hundred bucks a pound, you know, when you're starting to lighten your gear. And then when you get really light, it's going to be about a hundred bucks an ounce. To, to keep dropping the weight of your pack. If you're 40 pounds overweight and you spend $800 on a sleeping bag to save a few ounces, you may have been better off buying a gym membership because 40 pounds on your body, you need to lose it anyway. But truly this is coming from a guy who is a fat kid. And that's why I, I, you know, I don't mind maybe probably saying fat a little bit and fat shaming more than I should. Cause if I wouldn't have got fat shamed, I'd still be fat. Um, you, Truly, if you think about it, grab a 40-pound weight and carry it around all day. If you can lose that off of your body, man, that, 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 that is 
I mean, I cannot tell you how much that's saving your, your joints, your knees and everything else. Um, it's beneficial for you lifelong, you know, focus on that part too, rather than trying to drop four, six, eight pounds or four, six, eight ounces out of your pack. That fitness portion is not to be overlooked. I mean, you definitely want to stay as fit as you can. If you're going to backpack on, again, I know tons of my buddies, you know, lots of fat dudes that kill shit, bigger shit than I do. Um, but a lot of them are backpack hunting. You know, if you're going to backpack hunt, you definitely want to put fitness out there. Is you know pretty important as well. Yeah. Frank said hello. Brian. What? Sorry. No, no, you're good. But yeah, no, that's a that's a good point. And and the one thing that that I learned too is from like when the first year when I went out there and I thought I was in pretty good shape, but I I struggled quite a bit and. Yeah, did I get through the hunt? Yeah, I I went through it, went through it fine. And the second year, you know, I geared my training a lot more with pack training, and um and also and one thing that helped me a lot. I don't know, um again, you do it way more than me, but just me personally was when I would do some different workouts, I would do step ups since I couldn't always get to some place where I'm doing um you know climbing up the mountain or anything. So I'd put weight in my pack and do step ups. And then I would sprint in between sets. And what the sprinting helped me with, it seemed like, was when I was out there and I'd hear a bugle and I would run, that's where I was struggling. I was like, I, I had the endurance to go for a while, but I didn't have that quick, you know, twitch, I guess, to be able to to take off if I needed to after a bugle or whatever the case may be there. But th- that that was a, a, a huge thing for me is when I was uh, – in college and then even after I was big into lifting weights and everything and and once I started you know doing some backpack style hunting and everything I realized that extra body weight up top isn't doing you any good and uh, you know kind of quit a lot of that I mean I still work out upper body and everything but cutting off a lot of that weight and cutting about 20 pounds down just makes you a lot more efficient in my opinion there's, I guess there's a yeah, fine line between being skinny and, um, but also having some strength too. Yeah, there is. And I, I mean, I went from, you know, being, um, you know, in the military where I was in pretty good shape running. I hate to run getting out of the military and going from, you know, 190 to 250, uh, big old butt crack sticking out of the front of my shirt, you know, jamming on butterfingers and Mountain Dew, then going back, getting super, super fit racing mountain bikes and then going and road raging and going up to, and I think I got up to like 270. Um, and, uh, you know, I could bench press for over 500 pounds, but I couldn't walk across the street and then dropping down from there and kind of finding that, you know, that happy medium, like you just said, of strength, endurance and everything else. And for me, right around 200 pounds is, is where I'm at, where I'm, I'm, I'm most efficient. I'm not hungry all the time. You know, I start, like last year I got Giardia. I got down to like 180-something. I only have weighed 180 since seventh grade, right? And I was burning out pretty quickly. And so you're going to find that there's, um, and that's one of the things Brian's, he's got, he's he's pretty yoked, right? I mean, he's all piped up. And, uh, you know, those those pipes take oxygen, right? More muscle, more oxygen. <laughs> and you know, that fine line is where you'll find them. Maybe you don't need 18-inch arms. Maybe 17 will do it right? Or maybe, maybe 44 inch chest might be a little big. And, and if you're going to backpack hunt, you're definitely going to find that happy medium. Yeah, no, that's true. No, that's, that's some good stuff there. And 
um, one one question I, I want to just circle back around real quick to the packs that someone had sent in about um, do you use uh, a pack rain cover or do you just just use the bag for the most part? Uh, not very often because I waterproof everything important that's inside the pack. Um, you know, meaning like camera gear, electronics, or my, you know, clothing or bag or whatever is in waterproof containers. Now that's most of the time, if I'm going, well, no, I didn't bring a rain cover on the goat hunt. Oh, like Idaho. I will say like when I was in North Idaho, I had a rain cover. Um, you know, the thing is with a pack rain cover, it's still going to eventually get inside the pack. If it rains hard enough, they do help. Um, I would suggest a pack cover to most people and, and especially on a, on a multi-day, uh, backpack hunt to, to run like, um, some type, whether it's Ziploc bags or whatever, to make sure that you, the important stuff is in, in waterproof containers in your bag. But the thing that's nice with a pack cover is, I mean, and this is, is, is me being my backpack hunter self is in an emergency, you can put debone meat in there and put it in your pack or put it between the pack and the frame. For, for example, um, if it's a big one, I mean, I've put deboned meat in there to lay it down. Um, you know what I mean? There's, if you stop, if you're sleeping in a bivy and it's going to storm all night, definitely wrap that pack cover around your pack, you know, totally enclose it. So, you know, you get up in the morning, um, your pack's dry, right? Uh, that's important. So I, I would say a pack cover is definitely something to, to take into serious consideration. The shitty, shitty thing is you're hardly ever going to, hardly ever going to use it. But, you know, when you do need it, it is handy. And, and sometimes you'll, you know, I've used mine. I mean, honestly, I've been in, especially in the high country, man, I've made that thing into a water filter or a water uh, catcher, like uh, holder catcher. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, that drip hole, you know, there's, there's, uh, grommets and all of them for, for water to flow out mm-hmm. and, uh, funneled into that, into a Nalgene because water is at a premium at 13,000 feet. Let me tell you, I mean, I hate to sound like true grit and, uh, uh, LaBeef drinking water out of a fucking footprint. Right. But I've, uh, I've sucked water out of rocks many, many times at high altitude and been happy to sound just like LaBeef. If you watch that, been happy to have it. Right. I have been very happy to find a rock in water. In fact, to a point I, I started carrying a life straw, um, in my survival kit so I could just suck it right out of there, especially on sheep and goat hunts. Um, you know, your glass and then there's a rock full of water, probably going to have mosquito larvae in there, but that shit will buff out, man. I'll suck it right out of there if it keeps me from dropping a thousand feet in elevation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know that, that feeling. I, I sucked water out of an elk wallow last year. And even though it was clean after I ran it through the filter, it, uh, it still tastes like elk piss, no matter which way you look you know, at it. Dude, I get I do get frustrated on social media. Brian, I think, posted a video of me and him getting water out of a, from a Nalgene bottle and then using the Steripin. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, guys, whatever, don't trust the Steripin. And, oh, bring a filter. It's like, this isn't my first Rodeo, right? Like, I have pumped out of many, pumped water out of many um, elk wallows with a filter. That doesn't change shit. It still tastes horrible. I mean, you're drinking elk piss, basically, right? Yeah. I mean, elk, we, I call it badusi, but it, you're drinking water that elk have pissed in, rolled around in. It's not the best case scenario, but you do what you've got to do. 
And it doesn't matter, man. I mean, even drink mix, it still tasted horrible. And oh, yeah. I was sipping it like, I mean, 90 proof, man. Like, it was like, oh, God. But, you know, I didn't get sick and I stayed hydrated. I mean, I wouldn't want to drink it every day. But, um, you know, no matter what, when you're when you're getting water that way, there's no good way to get, get it. I mean, no matter what you do, it's going to taste like shit. And, but, again, you know. Does this dairy pen help that out at all? Does that help out the flavor? Or still no, the same? It, <laughs> no, it's fucking horrible, man. No, and then and then I mean I did the uh, I've told this story a lot, but whatever I I did a water filter purification steripen test, and that steripen was the only thing that worked every time, and that's why I still use it. But you are sticking, you know, like Yoda, a lightsaber in your water, twisting it in circles, and you're thinking, is this shit really going to work? Like you know, does light kill what's going in my body? Like, am I going to get sick? Now I have the, the utmost confidence in the steripin and I use it all the time and, and I, it kills every, well, it doesn't kill certain things. It scrambles its brain in a very layman's way to put it. So you can't get Giardia, yeah. but I, I just know that I haven't had the best of luck with filters in comparison. So I, I always use the steripin. Um, but no water still tastes like shit. Doesn't help at all. I, I couldn't imagine, I mean, the, the amount of time that you spend out there, um, yeah, I'm sure I can understand why you went away from filters. I ran that platypus inline filter last two years, and both years I I ruined the filters to the point where water wouldn't even go through it, even when you back flushed it and everything else. And uh, that's why I listened to your podcast on the different filtration systems and really am looking into trying out a SteriPen as well as um, – any other just recently i've been just using aquamira drops and finding some way to screen the you know the water going through but those inline filters seem to plug up so much at least in my experience well and, and trying to convince people of that that hey you know it works until it doesn't is, is difficult you know because you get real silty water um you know, you're, you're in trouble. Um, you know, it's going to fill up, especially those hollow, hollow core fiber filters or whatever the hell they're called. Um, yeah, I mean, you can be, you know, you can get in trouble pretty quick with that. And so, you know, but again, these are those, you know, things where, you know, you spend enough time back there. It's really not an arguable point. You know, you know what works, you're comfortable with what works. Um, and then you run with that. Um, you know, but you know, coming from, I mean, I'm not going to lie. If I was, you know, back east, heading west, and some, you know, fat dude was telling me, meaning me, to use a freaking pen that lights up to purify my water, I wouldn't believe me either. Uh, but it does work really well. Yeah. No, that's that, that's good to hear. Like I said, uh, it, I think it's kind of bullshit, too, when I uh, – I, I read it, you know, on the label with the platypus there. It's like, oh, it's good for 10,000 gallons of water. Well, after about 30, it uh, shit the bed when you get some when you get some uh, granulars in there and everything else and mud and everything else. And I don't care how much you try to back flush it. It never operates the same again. <laughs> but oh, It's funny. I get people, when I've batched that thing, people will get on. I've used it for this long. I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, well, what are you telling me for? If you like it keep using it. I'm not a freaking car salesman for purification systems. I'm just telling you this works for me. If you're having luck with a, you know, a, a basic gravity filter, who am I to say to stop? Rub some funk on it. Use that thing. I just know if I say that those work and then someone uses it and it plugs up, I get the nasty gram emails. 
um, about it. You know what I mean? So I, I, I really focus on what I truly believe works and is not going to make someone's life miserable, um, you know, on the side of a mountain. I focus on that. Yeah. All right, Aaron. Well, I think, uh, I think we covered all the things I wanted to, I mean, I could go into a lot more detail, but, uh, we're running close to two hours here. So I appreciate the, the time. Is there anything else that you think that, uh, you want to leave, leave the listeners here from, you know, from, uh, a tip standpoint, I don't know any, anything you can think of off the top of your head, uh, that you may not think of. Um, I maybe not uh, that they may not think of, but but I would say that don't get overwhelmed uh, if you're heading out west. Uh, don't don't make it more difficult than it is. Um, you know, don't get confused with stuff online. Don't get too you you know freaked out about it. Look at it like you're driving from point A to point B. Then you're going to walk from point A to point B, and you're going to go hunting. So don't don't wrap it up too much more. Just do your due diligence and, and uh, research on gear. Try to get the best you can afford, get in the best shape you can. And uh, not to sound, um, you know, I, I hate to say Brian, Brian Collin, Donnie Vincentish, but uh, you're out there to have fun. So don't let all the other stuff get in the way. Just go out and have fun. And if, if you're lucky enough, you'll get an animal. Uh, and that's a bonus. You know, don't don't get too wrapped up in everything else. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Aaron. I appreciate uh, all your input here, and um, and we'll have to talk to you again soon. But first, uh, where can where can people find a little bit more about you, Kafaru, and also Kafaru Cast? Um, so Kafaru Cast, uh, just Kafaru Cast. You can find it on Podbean and Stitcher, iTunes. You can get it on Kafaru.net's website. Uh, you can get it on there. Um, you know, you can anything Kafaru Kafaru.net. Uh, Kafaru underscore I-N-T-L is our Instagram page. Uh, that's for Kafaru International. Uh, as far as me, it's uh, A-R-O-N underscore Snyder is my Instagram page. And then I've got a couple of Facebook pages. One of them's full. Uh, my public fig- figure page is just Aaron Snyder. Uh, and it's with one A. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, other than that, obviously, that, I mean, big into photography. So a lot of it's just super cool photos I post up on there. And then, uh, you know, there's still stuff for me on the Gritty Bowman. Pod. I've been on a ton of different podcasts. And then, obviously, you, you can listen to me say goofy shit all the time on the Kafaru cast. We usually do two or three a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, they're, they're very entertaining and uh, and real world as far as from a gear standpoint i know when i'm going to listen to something about gear i'm going to go there first if i want a real life opinion and uh not anything that's um i i guess bought you know so yeah no we don't take any money from anyone on kafari cast so we definitely uh you know i'll have four camos on at one time just to be different when we're hunting so i can speak intelligent about all of them so yeah we we try to be as non-biased as we can yeah well awesome aaron again thank you very much and thanks uh, so much for listening to this episode of east meets west hunt with your host bomar tonic for more great content and to stay up to date visit eastmeetswesthunt.com facebook at east meets west outdoors and instagram at east meets west hunt if you enjoyed today's episode please review and subscribe and we'll catch you next time